Welcome to the Humanist Report. I'm Mike Figueredo. Today's episode is brought to you by audibletrial.com slash humanistreport. You can get a free 30-day trial along with one free downloadable audiobook when you use our link in the description box. And you also support the show. We get 15 bucks every single time you do that. So today's episode, we will be talking about Bernie Sanders, of course, because I think I should probably rename this podcast to the Bernie Sanders Report. Just with, I think the last podcast we covered like six or seven Bernie Sanders stories. I'd be okay with that. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. But more Bernie Sanders news. Uh, he's surging in the polls. Um, he's really catching up to Hillary Clinton. But also Donald Trump is surging in the polls too. I'll be discussing Mike Huckabee and some weird comments he said about abortion, as well as Hillary Clinton and uh, more Donald Trump news because this dude is crazy and I can't not talk about it uh, as a political commentator. So stay tuned. It's going to be a fantastic episode. A new poll conducted by CNN slash ORC shows that both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, both anti-establishment candidates, mind you, have risen considerably in the polls. So now with respect to Bernie Sanders, among 358 registered Democrats, 47% say they would vote for Clinton, while 29% say they will vote for uh, Bernie Sanders. So now that's just 18 points behind her. Now to really put this in perspective, the last poll conducted by CNN and ORC put Sanders at 19%, whereas 56% of voters said that they would vote for uh, Hillary Clinton. That was 37 points behind her. Now, back in June, when I first started filming this podcast, um, depending on the poll, a lot of other polls stated that Bernie Sanders was about 37 points, give or take, uh, behind Hillary Clinton. Now, as you can see, he's had this meteoric rise, and we haven't even had the first debate yet. What I initially contended was that he's going to have a gradual increase as time goes on. But my uh, hypothesis was that uh, once the debates actually take place, he's going to just surge. But... I'm actually wrong. Um, he's been surging without the debates. So now I'm really curious to see what's going to happen after the debates. Because he's going he's gonna to destroy Hillary Clinton in the debates. That's inevitable. Because she can't answer questions. So I am so excited to see where uh, this turns out. And look, the first primary is in February. He's done all this in about three months. Less than three months, actually. That's crazy. So anyways, um, it is officially time for Hillary Clinton to start freaking out. Because she is losing ground. And if Bernie Sanders continues on this track, he's going to be start pulling away. It's not just going to be close. I mean, he's going to start being 5, 10 points ahead of her. I can't predict that for sure. But that's, that's just what I'm speculating based on the current trend. Now, in the same poll, Joe Biden is polling at 14%. Martin O'Malley is sitting at 2%. And Jib Webb is sitting at a whopping 1%. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> dude you gotta start i mean take a tour of the media uh hold a rally i don't know how how can you poll at one percent when there's like only a couple people that's crazy anyways here's some of the more odd findings in the poll so those that lean toward the democratic party contend that clinton will be better at four issues economic issues race issues foreign policy and income inequality now I don't get where these voters are getting that because Hillary Clinton would be terrible at three out of four of these issues and she would just be bad at one of them, which would be the race issue. Um, so this is odd, but I think that this is also going to change uh, when the debates actually take place because people, they'll hear a little bit of Bernie Sanders' speech maybe in the media because you don't get to see his full speeches, so they'll hear just a snippet and they can't really ascertain what he's fully about. So when they actually get to hear him and uh, when he has this national platform... 
I think that this is going to change as well. Now, here's for the most terrifying part about this poll. Now, a lot of polls will uh, question respondents on hypothetical scenarios. So in a hypothetical matchup between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, 51% of respondents would vote for Hillary Clinton and 45% would vote for Donald Trump. So he's just six points behind Hillary Clinton. Now, what does this mean? This means that he's nationally electable. Nationally electable. So the dude with the bird's nest on his head, who's running his platform based on racism and xenophobia, he's now nationally electable. My head is about to pop off my body. That's insane. But here's what I think it is. I don't necessarily think that um, his uh, surge is fueled by racism and xenophobia, although that's definitely a part of it. Um, if you analyze the situation, I think that the fact of the matter is that both Republicans and Democrats are fed up with the establishment. They don't want politics as usual. They want money out of politics. They want politicians to stop lying. Even if they say the most absurd shit possible like Donald Trump, I think that they'll appreciate the fact that he's telling the truth. So that's what I think that Donald Trump's surge can be attributed to. I don't necessarily think that Americans are um, that uh, pro-anti-immigrant because when you look at the polls, 65% of Americans say that they don't want uh, immigrants to be deported. They want undocumented immigrants to get a path to citizenship. Now, if it comes down to Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, let's say hypothetically that Bernie Sanders gets the Democratic nomination and Donald Trump secures the Republican nomination, who's going to win? Okay, Bernie Sanders is going to whoop Donald Trump's ass. There's absolutely no question about it. Landslide. I'm talking landslide numbers. Donald Trump, even though this poll shows that he's nationally electable uh, within this pool of respondents, um... How are you going to go and uh, win a full election with 320 million people when you throw under 50% of the population, all women, uh, when you throw under a huge significant portion, uh, Mexicans and uh, undocumented immigrants, although they can't vote, a lot of Mexicans, uh, they don't agree with what he says about undocumented immigrants. Now, I'm Hispanic, and I find his comments extremely offensive. Now, I can't speak for all uh, Latino Americans, but I'm just saying that when you hear this, you know that it's not necessarily coming from a place of practical policy that he's against undocumented immigrants, but he's, it's coming from a place of racism and malice. So the way that I take it is that he doesn't like people who are Latino. Um, so in the end, look, Donald Trump is a clown. He doesn't have any substantive policy proposals, and Bernie Sanders is going to whoop him. Now, what this poll shows overall is that anti-establishment candidates are doing very, very well. What I don't get is how Donald Trump is surging past Rand Paul. I mean... Rand Paul is, by and large, an anti-establishment candidate, but he's really, once he started uh, campaigning, his campaign took a turn for the worse. I mean, he's now talking about religion. He's now uh, trying to pander to that uh, fringe right-wing group, when really he could potentially get a lot of people from the middle, so I don't get how he's not surging. Uh, but I think part of it has to do with his rhetoric. It's just become more religious. It's become more... Uh, establishment even though i think he's i don't think he's part of the establishment i think that he's still uh, by and large is trying to get that fringy part of the republican base so in the end very interesting poll um i'm very excited to see how in just like a month from now how much further Bernie sanders will progress
Bernie Sanders announced that when Congress reconvenes in September, he's going to be proposing a bill to abolish private prisons. Now, Bernie Sanders states, I will be introducing legislation which takes corporations out of profiteering from running jails. It is morally repugnant and a national tragedy that we have privatized prisons all over America. In my view, corporations should not be allowed to make a profit by building more jails and keeping more Americans behind bars. Now, as usual, Bernie Sanders is absolutely correct. Now, to illustrate just how deplorable this industry is, um, Think Progress explains that private prison companies have been the target of countless lawsuits over their rampant corruption, mistreatment of inmates, and inhumane conditions, which have even led to the death of prisoners. Because the corporations are profit-driven, they have an incentive to cut corners on the care of their inmates and detainees to save money. Currently, 16% of federal prisoners are housed in private prisons. The two largest prison corporations, GEO Group and Corrections Corporation of America, together take in $3.3 billion in annual revenue, and the industry doubled in size between 2000 and 2010. While several states, including New York and Illinois, have banned private prisons, it's a tough battle for lawmakers to take up because of the massive amount of money the corporations pour into politics. Now, with these facts in mind, why hasn't there been an effort by Congress to abolish the private prison industry? Now, as that last sentence pointed out, You've got to follow the money to get an answer. So GEO, um, which is, uh, as they stated, one of the largest private prison companies, uh, has spent over $6 million over the last 13 years buying Republican, Democrat, and even third-party candidates. Now, together, GEO and Corrections Corporation of America spent $25 million buying politicians since 1989. So now these facts are provided by the National Institute on Money and Politics. So over the last six years, $11 million has been spent by the private prison industry to lobby Congress to keep immigrants in detention centers. So, of course, this is deplorable. This industry needs to be abolished. So now when it comes to this uh, election cycle in particular, there's been two candidates that have taken significant contributions from the private prison industry. One of them is Marco Rubio. He took $40,000 from GEO. Now, can you guess who the other one is? It's Hillary Clinton. Of course, because she's taken money from everybody. <laughs> so... She's taken uh, 44000 from GEO alone, and that excludes the other corporations. Now, this is according to The Intercept. I'll put a link in the description box. So Hillary Clinton contends that she wants to end mass incarceration, but there's no feasible way to do this unless you break up the private prison industry and abolish it completely. But of course, she's not going to do this because they are now bankrolling her campaign. Not all of it, but they're giving a significant contribution. I mean, $44,000. That's a lot of money. So she's certainly going to give them access and she's going to listen to what they got to say. So now abolishing the private prison industry is not just something that's politically pragmatic. It's something that's morally righteous. It's something that I think as a nation we're obligated to do. Because if you incentivize corporations to lock up people, then what do you think is going to happen? We're going to become the number one country for incarcerations. And that's the case. We have more people locked up than North Korea. That's sickening. Now, of course, we do have uh, more citizens in North Korea. They have about 56 million, I believe, whereas we have 320 million. But still, that still speaks volumes um, in itself. So now, mark my words, once this is announced, um, once Bernie actually proposes this legislation, you're going to have a number of politicians coming out against it and speaking out against it almost immediately. Now, when that happens, I want you to take their names down and I want you to visit OpenSecrets.org and see just how much the private prison industry is donating to them because they're going to try to come up with an argument to counter this. But 
It's not going to be uh, factual. It's not going to be something that is going to actually even be logical. They're going to be doing this because they are getting money from the private prison industry. So if you want to know where they stand, follow the money. Mark my words. It's going to happen. OpenSecrets.org. So Bernie Sanders was recently asked, uh, in effect, to just attack Hillary Clinton by a member of the corporate media. And um, he decided to go on a rant about their sensationalist tactics and also ripped Republicans in the process. Now, as you could have guessed... It was awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, you, uh, in your speech uh, tonight, you said you won't um, criticize or attack Hillary Clinton, certainly. But you did seem to draw some implicit contrast when you said uh, you don't take money from super PACs and you voted against the Iraq war. So what I said is that corporate media talks about all kinds of issues except the most important issues. Okay? And time after time, I'm being asked to criticize Hillary Clinton. That's the sport that you guys like. The reason this campaign is doing well because we're talking about the issues that impact the American people. I've known Hillary Clinton for 25 years. I like her, I respect her. I disagree with her on a number of issues. No great secret. I, I oppose the Trans-Pacific Partnership, okay? I want to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Doesn't she? No, not to the best of my knowledge, no. I believe I am opposed to uh, the Keystone Pipeline. Okay, I voted against the war in Iraq. I voted against the USA Patriot. These are differences of opinions that we will discuss. But the issue that I want to be talking about is the collapse of the American middle class. You guys gonna write about that? Yes. Yes. Is that an important issue? Yes, please do. The need for to create millions of decent paying jobs. The obscenity of the kind of level of income and wealth inequality that we have today. The reason our campaign is doing well is because people are responding to those issues. So I am not going to get into the game of sitting around attacking Hillary Clinton. We disagree. We're going to have, if I have anything to say about it, a respectful and intelligent debate. Other questions? Why do you think uh, working class people in America vote against their economic self-interest? That's a good question. And if I knew all of the complete answer to that, I'd be a lot smarter than I am. But this is what I will tell you. I think the Republicans have done a brilliant job over the years. They're very smart guys in dividing people on a million different issues. They divide people on gay marriage. They divide people on abortion. They divide people on immigration. And what my job is, and it's not just in blue states, believe me, we're going to go to red states, we're going to go to conservative states, is to bring working people together around an agenda that works for their kids and works for their parents, raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour having a trade policy that creates jobs in America, not in China, making sure that all of our kids can get a college education regardless of their income, fighting for pay equity for women workers. We have an agenda that I believe can bring people together, and when we do that, we're going to win this election very easily, I think. How do, you how do you reconcile being the anti-establishment can candidate with being a career politician? <laughs> Other questions? Well, you said you were a politician. I think that's a fair question. I've run for office 25. I've been in office for 25 years. As a candidate for mayor of Burlington, I became the first independent ever elected in the city's history by taking on the entire ruling class of the city of Burlington. Does that sound like a career politician? When I began my political career, I received 2% of the vote and then 1% of the vote. Last election, I got 71% of the vote. 
running for office, representing working people, taking on Wall Street, taking on the military-industrial complex, taking on private insurance companies, taking on pharmaceutical industry. I don't think that makes me a career politician. I think that makes me as a candidate who is standing up for working people and prepared to take on the big money interest in this country. Are you aware of the rise of Jeremy Corbyn as the UK Labour Party candidate? Bit, yeah. And whether that's something you think you can tap into and whether you've got a message Look, I campaign. think whether it's the UK or here in the United States, here's the answer. People are sick and tired of establishment politics. They are sick and tired of a politics in which people continue, candidates continue to represent the rich and the powerful, go out begging money from the wealthy. They are sick and tired of an economics in which almost all of the new income and wealth is going to the top 1%. And they're tired of a medium which continues to want to have gotcha questions and make conflict between the candidates rather than talking about the real issues impacting the American people. And that is why I'm not familiar with what's going on daily. I am aware of the candidate. But I think that is what's going on in this campaign. The American people are saying enough is enough. Why is it that almost all new income and wealth is going to the top 1%? Why is it that our kids can't afford to go to college? Why is it that our childcare system is dysfunctional? Why is it that we're the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all of our people who have family and medical leave? The American people want us to address those issues. They do not want us to be attacking each other. They want to focus, they want a real debate on real issues, and I intend to give it to them. Thank you very much. I love how Bernie Sanders just ripped their asses apart. And then um, right afterward, the same people that he just destroyed, they turn around and they applaud him. Yeah, go Bernie! <laughs> Did you not hear what he just said? He's critiquing you. He's telling you to stop covering politics like a horse race. Um, so that was great. Now look, this demonstrates why his message resonates with the American people. We're done with politics as usual. We're not just tired of the political establishment. We're done with the corporate media. We don't like the way that they cover elections. We don't like the way that they sensationalize everything. I mean, if you cover politics like a horse race, what does that say about your country? Oh, well, Hillary Clinton, uh, she stopped at Chipotle, and I believe she had avocado uh, in her burrito. Now, I'm not making this up. When she first announced uh, her candidacy, she ate at Chipotle, and CNN literally had like a virtual burrito spinning where they analyzed the contents of it. I think, I'm pretty sure it was CNN. And it was just spinning like, so, uh, it's a belief that she had, uh, black beans, rice, uh, avocado even. Like, how does that benefit us? What does that tell us about her policy positions? I mean, what can I surmise about the fact that she likes avocado about her policy positions? Absolutely nothing. So I hate the way that, uh, politicians are covered like celebrities. I think that what Bernie Sanders was doing, he was speaking for all of us when he said, stop. Cover politics like a legitimate institution. You're supposed to be a check on government. That's the reason why we have free press in America. But really, we don't technically have a free press because our press is paid for by corporations who then buy the politicians. So in effect, in an indirect way, we don't really have a free media. So I'm glad that he critiqued him on this. What Bernie Sanders has proven more and more each week is that you don't have to play the same game 
that politicians have played for decades. I mean, you can propose real economic solutions. You can actually come up with real political solutions to fix our broken system, to actually speak out on behalf of the American people. And lo and behold, it's going to be popular. Because who would have thought that when you actually try to do something good for uh, the greater good of Americans, when you try to represent them well, who would have thought that that would be popular? <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous is that? But I mean, that's the case. I mean, they're not talking about Bernie Sanders' policy positions. They're talking about how, oh, well, is he too old to run? Is Hillary Clinton, is Hillary Clinton too old to run? What about her hair? I mean, a, a politician literally asked uh, Bernie Sanders about Hillary Clinton's hair. How, how absurd is that? I mean, it's sickening, really. It's, it's really sickening because, I mean, this is why Americans are so uninformed because we have a corporate media establishment that's not doing their job. So the fact that Bernie Sanders ripped them for this, it's fantastic, and I hope he continues to do it because you shouldn't have to be told by the politicians, uh, such as Bernie Sanders, that uh, you're not doing your job correctly. You're supposed to be a government watchdog, but he's telling you, no, 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 you need to do your job. Talk about the policy positions. Watch government. Why aren't you looking at Republicans and what they're doing? So I absolutely love this clip. It really demonstrates why Bernie Sanders' message is resonating with the American people so well. Republicans are often coy when it comes to the question of what they would do with the 11 million undocumented immigrants currently in the country because we know that they don't like them, but a lot of them won't actually say uh, what needs to be done. For instance, Ted Cruz said that we can't even address that issue until we secure the border. So they're not going to say what they want, but there is uh, one politician, uh, well, he's not really even a politician, Donald Trump said specifically what he would do, uh, and his answer was unequivocal. Take a look. The executive order gets uh, rescinded. One good thing you'll about rescind, You'll rescind that one too? One good thing you'll about You'll rescind the Dream Act executive you're gonna order have to, DACA. We have to make a whole new set of standards, and when people come in, they have so to come in. So you're going to split up go, families. Chuck, you're going to deport children. Chuck, no, no, we're going to keep the families together. We have to keep the families together. But you're going to keep them together out. But they have to go. What if they have no place to go? We will work with them. They have to go. You've heard it firsthand. He didn't mince words. He didn't stutter. All 11 million must be deported, according to Donald Trump. Now, let's put aside the fact, let's try at least, <laughs> to put in the back of our minds the fact that this is morally outrageous and just downright deplorable. But let's actually look at this from a policy perspective. Now, if you don't like immigrants, uh, undocumented immigrants specifically, you're a bad person, of course. But this is not a sound policy proposal, even if you hate immigrants. So a 2010 study from the Center for American Progress estimates that deporting all 11 million immigrants would cost $285 billion over five years. Now, this is the most conservative estimate that I saw on this. Uh, some uh, studies have found that it would cost $400 billion. And that's if you, even if you can actually identify the 11 million undocumented immigrants. Because the fact remains that they're undocumented. So, I mean, how are you going to find them? Are you going to knock on every single door? Uh, are you going to become the Gestapo? What's going to happen here? So now, additionally, the Bipartisan Policy Center found that deportation of all 11 million immigrants would shrink the U.S. labor force by 6.4% over two decades, and AAF finds that it would decrease our GDP by $1.6 trillion. So, furthermore... 
The American people actually disagree with this move. Gallup finds that 65% of Americans believe undocumented immigrants should be allowed to stay and should be given a path to citizenship. So if we actually did what the American people wants as opposed to what Donald Trump and a group of fringe Americans want, well, on the flip side, uh, Newsweek explains that putting undocumented immigrants on a pathway to citizenship, which two-thirds of Americans support, would add a cumulative $1.2 trillion to the GDP over a decade, increase the earnings of all Americans by $625 billion, and create an average of 145,000 new jobs each year. So this is the preferred policy because one, families wouldn't be broken up, and two, our economy would actually benefit and all Americans would benefit from it. Also, one last thing is that it wouldn't make us look like a terrible country to literally every other single country in the world. So deporting all 11 million immigrants, it's not only uh, impractical, it's bad policy, it's morally deplorable, and Donald Trump should be ashamed of himself for even suggesting it. Now, look, if you disagree with those studies, we actually have empirical examples to go off of. So now, for the couple of states wherein they've implemented more draconian laws against undocumented immigrants, thus forcing them to flee, well, it didn't turn out too well for them. Mike.com explains, Last fall, Alabama Governor Robert Bentley signed a tough law combating illegal immigration, which prompted undocumented workers to flee the state. Few locals will perform the grueling work of picking crops, and farmers stuck in an agricultural system built on illegal labor are struggling to find replacements before their produce rots. Worker shortages have prompted some Alabama farmers who grow labor-intensive produce to plant less, rather than have crops rot in the fields again this year. Alabama's situation is not unique. Georgia passed a similar immigration law in 2011 when undocumented workers fled. Farmers lost around 40% of their workers and 140 million worth of blueberries, melons, onions, and other crops due to labor shortages. This year, Georgia farmers again fear they will be short on workers to pick the crops and many have scaled back production or stopped planting altogether. So the verdict is in. Deporting all 11 million undocumented immigrants is uh, not just racist, it's not just xenophobic, it's just bad policy. We all know that Hillary Clinton has a difficult time answering questions directly, right? Because she's a politician and she performs exactly as we expect politicians to perform. Um, but this time, uh, with respect to whether or not she tried to wipe her email servers, the dodge that she tries to do is just insane. So take a look. Arguments. You're saying that the FBI believes that you tried to wipe the entire server. You do try to wipe the entire, so that there'll be no email, no personal, no official, wipe well, the whole thing. Well, my personal emails are my personal business, right. right? So I, so we went through a painstaking process and turned over 55,000 pages of anything we thought could be work-related. Under the law, that decision is made by the official. I was the official. I made those decisions, and as I just said, over 1,200 of the emails have already been deemed not work-related. Now, all I can tell you is, in retrospect, if I'd used a government account and I had said, you know, let's release everything, let's let everybody in America see what I did for four years, we would have the same arguments. But so that, that's all I can say. I have no idea. That's why we turned it over. So we, you were in charge of it. You were the official in charge. Did you wipe the server? 
what, like with a cloth or something? I don't know. Well, you no. know how it works digitally. Did you try to I, write the whole thing? I don't know how it works digitally at all. I do not so have you any. You did not try. Ed, I know you want to make a point, and I can just repeat what I have said. In order, to, in order to be as cooperative as possible, we have turned over the server. They can do whatever they want to with the server to figure out what's there or what's not there. That's for the you know, people investigating it to try to figure out. But we turned over everything that was work-related, every single thing. Personal stuff, we did not. I had no obligation to do so and did not. Thank you all. Thank you. So this is basically what she's saying. She's saying, look, the official is the one who gets to decide uh, what's private and what's government-related emails. Uh, and since I was the official, I took the liberty myself to determine what's private and what's government-related. So, of course, I'm going to be 100% objective when I'm uh, going through my own emails, right? Wink. I mean, um, she gets to determine what's private and what's government, and she gets to turn over what she basically wants to in effect. So, if there's something that is uh, government-related, well, why wouldn't you just, if you didn't want it getting out there, you could just delete it and say, no, that was private. We have no way of knowing. <laughs> there's no way of us actually getting to the bottom of what's in her email. Now, so clearly, she had something to hide because, I mean, if she didn't, she would just say, look, take all my emails. I don't care if it's personal or government. You could take it all because I have nothing to hide. But this is a Clinton we're talking about, and Clintons are corrupt. So when the dude asked, uh, did you wipe the servers? And she said, what, like with a cloth or something? Oh, dude, I, cr I cringed so hard. Like, I, like, felt shivers up my spine. That was just bad. So, look, here's the deal. By and large, I don't think that this email scandal is compelling enough to warrant enough of my attention. Um, but, uh, I mean, look, is it the case that she probably set up a second email because she had something to hide? Of course. Is water wet? We know that she had something to hide. This is a Clinton. Clintons have stuff to hide, okay? But, I mean... The fact of the matter is that I don't need another Clinton scandal to dissuade me from not voting for her. I know she's a bad candidate because I follow the money. See, the reason why Republicans are so vested in the scandal is because, unlike me, I can actually uh, critique Hillary Clinton for being corrupt out in the open. So, for example, she is in favor of ending mass incarceration, but in the same breath, she's not going to state whether or not she would abolish the private prison industry. Now, we know that she won't abolish the private prison industry because she's taking money from them. She's received over $44,000 from GEO alone, which is one of the two largest within that industry. So Republicans can't actually critique her on this, unlike myself, because they're doing the same thing. They're completely corrupt. So they'll take money from the fossil fuel industry and then they'll deny that global warming exists. Now, do you think that these people would look like idiots and be on the wrong side of history if they weren't actually benefiting from it, if they couldn't keep their job, if uh, the fossil fuel industry wouldn't donate to their campaign and bankroll them? Of course they wouldn't because it's absurd. Everyone knows that anthropogenic climate change is a reality. I think they know it too, but they're just not going to say it because they're corrupt. This is why the Republicans will try to come up with all these types of scandals, uh, be it Benghazi, which was not a scandal at all, uh, or this email scandal, which, again, not that compelling because if you are paying attention at all, you already know that Hillary Clinton is corrupt and Bernie Sanders is the one politician who's not corrupt. So the takeaway is that whatever comes out of this email scandal, which I don't think we're going to get much because if she's filtering herself and determining what's private and what's government, well, of course, you're not going to get to the bottom of what she's really trying to hide. But 
I mean, if anything comes out of this that actually surprises me, I'll eat this microphone on camera. I'm not kidding. I'll eat this microphone. No, I can assure you I'll be completely objective as to what surprises me because I'll be the one uh, who will be determining that. So take it as you will. So in the end, this just really demonstrates Hillary Clinton is just the typical politician that we're all sick of. We're sick of the establishment politicians, and this is why Bernie Sanders is doing so well. Mike Huckabee defended a decision from Paraguay wherein a 10-year-old girl who was a victim of rape was denied an abortion. Now, he actually thought that this was a good idea to deny her an abortion, so I'm going to let uh, him explain his logic, or lack thereof, and then I'll break it down afterwards. I ask about a story because it's really getting a lot of attention from our readers on CNN.com. A 10-year-old girl was raped by her stepfather in Paraguay, and the government wouldn't allow her to have an abortion because that's the policy there. The girl, who's now just 11, had the baby. If you're president and you have your druthers, that would be the policy here. Some of your Republican opponents say it's too extreme. What do you say? I think what we have to do, Dana, is remember that creating one problem uh, that is horrible, uh, horrible. I mean, let nobody uh, be misled. A 10-year-old girl being raped is horrible. But does it solve a problem by taking the life of an innocent child and that's really the issue. I know people, I worked for a man for several years, James Robison, who was uh, the result of a, of a rape. His mother went to three doctors in Houston, Texas in 1943, begged doctors to, uh, to abort the baby. None of them would do it. They all refused. Today, his organization feeds, cares for, living capacity for water to hundreds of thousands of people across the world. That would never have happened, Dana. So when I, when I think about uh, one horror, I also think about the possibilities that exist. And I, and I just don't want to think that somehow we discount a human life. And that's, and that's understandable. But you know, the flip side is looking in the eyes of a 10-year-old girl uh, saying, you know, you had this horrible thing happen to you and you're going to have to carry it out for the next nine months. I mean, that, that's also not easy. No, it isn't easy, and I, I, I wouldn't even pretend that it's anything other than uh, a, a terrible tragedy. But let's not compound the tragedy by taking yet another life. And I always think we sometimes miss the fact that when an abortion happens, there are two victims. One is the child. The other uh, is that birth mother, who often will go through extraordinary guilt years later when she begins to think through the, the, what, what happened with the baby, with her, and uh, again, there are no easy answers here. And I realize there are some people that will be very different in their view of this than me, and I respect that. I don't want to get into a shouting match with people who think I'm wrong. I respect that. But I just come down on the side that uh, life is precious. Every life has uh, worth and value. I don't think we discount uh, the, the, the intrinsic worth of any human being. And I don't know where else to go with it, but just to be consistent and say, if life matters, and that's a person, then every life matters. Governor he says, when I think of one horror, I also want to think about the possibilities that exist. All right, then. So let's play this game. What if that little girl who they're forcing to have this baby at 10 years old, what if she dies from this? And then her baby goes on to become an abortion doctor and kills hundreds of babies, as you would uh, refer to it as, as murder. What if that happens? See... <laughs> You can't predict the future, so you are stupid for concocting these type of uh, hypotheticals because 
It's insane. The possibilities are infinite. So what we need to do is focus on the people who are alive and can feel pain right now and whose lives are in danger. A 10-year-old girl should not be having a baby. So he also says that he wants to be consistent and maintain that if life matters, well, that's a person, then every life matters. So the baby's life matters too, right? Okay, so where's your outrage when men masturbate? I want to know, why aren't you mad whenever men masturbate? Yourself included. Because if it's potential life that's being discarded of, right? So callously, right? Um, isn't every man in the history of the planet responsible for committing genocide? I mean, look, I'm not trying to be gross here and gross anyone out, but I'm just saying that when you think about it logically, ejaculation leads to the death of about 100 million sperm cells each time. So Mike Huckabee, throughout his own lifetime, has killed billions of lives. But here's what he's going to retort. He's going to say, no, Mike, you don't understand. Life begins at conception. See, because a ball of cells is life, but one cell is not life. <laughs> That's the standard. So even though this ball of cells, um, even though there's no central nervous system, there's no brain, there's no consciousness, even though it's maybe less sentient than a plant, well, I think that takes precedent over the life of a 10-year-old girl. That's what he's going to say. So here's how I would reply. I'd say, look, Mike Huckabee, here's the deal. If you want to entertain these odd hypothetical situations, then what if you just uh, skeeted a future president onto a piece of tissue paper? Isn't that life? Isn't there potential for life with a sperm cell? So where's the outrage for that? I don't get it. So here's the deal. This is what this is about. It's not about protecting life from Mike Huckabee. It's about controlling women. Because if Mike Huckabee really wanted to protect life, then he would be absolutely outraged whenever we send thousands of our troops overseas to die in war. He'd be outraged at the fact that 17,000 Americans will die every year because some Republican governors won't expand uh, the Medicare expansion as part of the Affordable Care Act because they disagree with Obama politically. He would be outraged at the fact that we can't even pass universal background checks so that way people who are insane and have criminal records can't buy guns and kill people. If you're pro-life, well, then you would be outraged about war. You'd be outraged about starvation and famine. But you're not. It's about controlling women because for whatever reason, Republicans like doing that and they think that women are less than men. Now, the, the saddest part to me is not the fact that Mike Huckabee would espouse this type of insane theocratic rhetoric. It's the fact that this doesn't just automatically disqualify him from the presidential race. It's because there's a sizable portion in the country that actually agrees with him. They agree that a 10-year-old rape victim should not be allowed access to an abortion. That's safe. That's legal. This is the definition of insane, and I find it just appalling that there are people who can even entertain this notion. So, in order to save a ball of cells, a fetus, uh, he's going to sacrifice potentially the life of a 10-year-old girl. I just... I don't get it. That's all the topics that I can discuss for this week. As usual, I want to thank everyone for subscribing and watching and tuning in. And I also want to welcome all of my new subscribers. Um, and actually, right before I started filming, uh, we just hit 2,000 subscribers. And by the time that this video actually gets posted uh, and you hear me talking about this, we'll probably be at at least a couple hundred more and maybe even another thousand more. So this is absolutely crazy. I never expected that. Um, this channel would uh, grow so steadily. I thought that I would have like no views for like a year. Um, and no subscribers for like a year, but man, it's really taken off. So I'm glad that you guys are taking an interest in what I'm doing. Um, now, a little quick side note, as you can tell, uh, this is a shorter episode. What I'm doing is I'm changing up the format. I'm returning to school pretty soon. So I'm going to have to uh, release videos at a time 
uh, that's more pragmatic for me because I'm a PhD student. I'm also a research assistant, so I have like no time to do anything. So I'm trying to film videos on a schedule that works with my schedule. So what I'm thinking is three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, uh, but I'm not sure. Um, but it will be one of those days. So our episodes will be shorter. But what's good about this is that I can cover more substantive topics uh, and really go more in depth on these uh, topics that I put out in these videos because covering like 15 topics, is it's difficult to really come up with a lot. And by the time I'm done talking, I'm like burnt out. So I think that this is going to be more manageable. And I hope that you guys enjoy the new format um, and like what I have to produce over the next couple of, uh, of months. And uh, we'll see how it works. If it doesn't work, I'll change up the format. You guys just let me know. Um, so I'll see you next week.